This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to episode 187 of the Laravel News Podcast. My name is Jake Bennett. With me, as always, is my blue-haired host, co-host, Mr. Michael Dorinda. How's it going, Michael? I don't even know if it's hello. blue. It's more like a... Uh, it is. What do it you is call blue. that? When it's, uh, it's blue, but it does that like... Um, it shimmers. Fade pattern thing. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually... Yeah, it it's shimmer. two. What's it's the... two colors. There are two colors in it. So that may be what is throwing mm-hmm. you. There is Atlantic blue. I can't remember the name of it. And it's like plum. there's like... Um, a gradient? And when it goes from like one color to another, yeah, a gradient, but there's like a name for it. I don't know. I got nothing. I'll have to ask but my yes. wife. Blue, blue and purple. It's, oh my. Uh, I had to it go to great. I had to go to the great. barber though and get a haircut because it was getting a bit long. And mm-hmm. my barber is an old Italian man and he got stuck Tom into Brand? me a little bit. <laughs> he goes, What'd you do to your hair? I said And you were like just, oh. I don't really leave the house except to come shopping, so it's yeah. It's just it's just been going on, but um, no, it was all right. He he commended my wife. He said that she did a good job, and she said, "Of course I did. I know how to do hair." So nice, very modest. Nice. Wait, wait, wait. Your wife did this? Yeah. Oh, nice, nice job, Bree. Way to go. Very cool. Um. Okay. So we are a little bit uh, behind on our release posts. But before we talk about those, we're going to talk about Honey Badger because Honey Badger is the best. Honey Badger is sponsoring the show today. Thank you so much, Honey Badger, for sponsoring. It is error tracking and monitoring for your Laravel applications. Any other applications you have running too, they have uh, support for a lot of different types of languages and frameworks. So Laravel is one of the many. Check out Honey Badger at honeybadger.io. All right. We've got releases, we've got some news, and we've got some packages and tutorials, as always. So, shall we jump into the releases? Yeah. 10.2, we're going straight from the uh, GitHub diffs, right? Mm-hmm. The release notes. The release so notes. you there, can yeah. take 10.2. Yeah, you can take 10.2, and I'll uh, take a look at 10.3. Yeah. I was going to say, we can just skim through them, because there's quite a bit yeah, to these two releases, and I think without the extra context around them, it's going to be a bit tricky to, to actually talk through them. But 10.2... Added a new conditionable trait to the logger class. It added a new dot method to the collection class. There is a new channel list command. So we've got, um, you know, route list and we've got all of those extra, you know, DB show, model show, all of those kind of nice artisan commands now that kind of give you information about your application. Channel list will show you all of the registered channels for broadcasting in your application, which was contributed, if I'm not mistaken, by Ash Allen. We've got a new job popping and job popped event added there is an is match method that was added to the str the string and the stringable helpers and stringable is now also implementing the array access interface which allows you to reference the string string characters i guess positionally so this allows you to do like string and then pass it a string arrow whatever operation on it and then do like square brackets immediately after. Um, so previously you'd have to do something like string arrow value and then call the positional argument on it, which PHP coerces into like an array access on the string itself. So this allows you to do it more more directly. So those are some new additions in Laravel 10.2. There was also a couple of small changes that we will link to in the show notes, um, but nothing nothing huge there. There was 
There's some calls, some obsolete calls to enum exists and function exists that were put into the previous version, so Laravel 9, when we were adding the enum support. Now that we require PHP 8.1 as a minimum for Laravel 10, there's no need to have those exist checks in there because the assumption is you're running on a uh, only on PHP 8.1 and above, which has all of those features and functions available to you. So that that is 10.2. Very nice. All right, in 10.3, we have got the pipeline facade that has been added. So Taylor tweeted about this and said that they also added it to the documentation a couple of days ago. Uh, so pipelines are something that's been used internally a lot. And so this basically just makes it generally available to anybody who would like to use them. And so Taylor, like I said, tweeted out about this. Uh, you can check out more about that. But pipelines are essentially just very similar to middlewares, really where you can take a value and you can pass it through a series of classes and each uh, one of those classes gets the value and the opportunity to modify it before it sends it through to the next item in the pipeline. And then you can do a, I think, then at the very bottom and you can do some logic at the bottom of that. So mm-hmm. Hemphill, David Hemphill had to talk about this, you know, I think at Laracon AU like two and a half, three years ago, something like that. Yeah. So it's been around for a while, but now it's basically just being promoted to be, you know, uh, a little bit more visible in the framework. So yeah. The pipeline facade. The the pipeline facade makes it a little bit easier to access because the way that you'd have to do it before is to kind of resolve the pipeline instance from the container. And it, like the interface sure. was a bit clunky. The functionality is exactly the same now, but it you can you can do it directly through like this pipeline facade. So instead of doing, you know, app make pipeline class, which then resolves the container and passes it back into the constructor of the pipeline, you can just use the, you know, pipeline colon colon send you know, dollar whatever through your your array of actions, then return or or whatever else at the end. So it's just like cleaning up that interface and and sort of hoisting it up into a first class citizen in the framework. But it's a it's a very yeah. useful pattern. Yep, absolutely. Uh, there is also uh, support being added for save quietly and upsert. Uh, so with UUIDs and ULIDs, we talked about the difference between UUIDs and ULIDs a while before. Uh, so. That's back in episode like 182. I'm going to just throw off the top. I don't know. I don't know if it's actually true, but we talked about that a little while ago. Uh, But basically, the framework sets unique IDs before saving uh, via the creating event. So if you had UUIDs, ULIDs that you were using and you were trying to do a save quietly, that creating event would not get fired. And so those values would not get set. So basically what this does is this PR changes it to not to use those events, but to just be called directly in the perform insert and the upsert methods so that, you know, you can still use save quietly and still use UUIDs or ULIDs. So there's that. Uh, We have also got Countable being added to the invoked process pool class. Now, I've not used this before, but if you have a process pool where I think this is, maybe this is uh, something to do along with that new process thing that was introduced not too long ago. Um, And you can call a pool of these things, right? I think you can have a couple of them running at the same time. So basically what you can do now is you can, uh, the, the process uh, the invoked process pool now implements countable. So you can call count on it and then it'll count how many invoked processes there are. Uh, so if you needed to do that, now you can do it. There also is less, uh, this last item is adding placeholders to logging. So essentially the way that it works is you say log colon colon info and then you are passing in a string that you're going to throw in there. You can use string interpolation in there where you would do like a bracket ID bracket and then as a second argument where you're passing in the array, the context that's going to be saved along with that log, 
you could then pass in the value that you would want to use inside of that little placeholder. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but let me let me let me take one more stab at it here. Okay, so if you've got a string that you wanted uh, in PHP where you wanted to uh, do like so the string interpolation, you could do that. You know, if you use double quotes, you can use that bracket syntax where you say bracket dollar sign variable name bracket, right? You can do that and it'll interpolate that string inside of there. Or actually, I think you can actually do it without brackets if you wanted to as well. But in this one, you basically define a placeholder in the first argument by putting these curly braces around the value that you want to replace. So curly brace ID, curly brace. And then when you're passing a argument, when you're passing arguments to the logger, you can also pass this second value, which is an array of values that you want to uh, go along with that log. If you name one of those variables the same thing as one of the placeholders that was in your first argument, it will go ahead and replace that argument in that first string with the value of the array that you put in. So in this case, they say showing the user, so, you know, log info, showing the user profile for user colon curly brace ID curly brace. And then as the second argument, they pass an array that defines what the ID value is supposed to be. Um, The reason this is nice is because it allows you to put that value in the string. Um, But if you're looking to do any sort of like processing, like automated processing, sometimes it's nice to have that structured data in the log. Uh, not in the logging string, but just as as an array value. So like if you're using something like Datadog or what's it, Grafana or something like that, and you want to pull off some of that data and do some uh, an- analyzing of that data, it's nice to have it in that array format instead of just in a string where you kind of have to pull off those values manually. Okay, I think that's the most. I think that's the best I can do on there. Yeah. Um. So I think that is most of what we got for ten three. There's a more complete sort of explanation of what this is that was posted by um Larry Garfield. And sort of goes into the the details of like why this happens and things like that. And I'm, the the standard for logging in PHP, the PSR three standard that was kind of put together around this, was a bit vague in terms of its definition on on how logging should be um, done. And so, essentially, if you're if you're putting variables into your messages, you're effectively mm-hmm following the, the or the, the recommendation incorrectly you're abusing it um, and, and it kind of introduces a security attack vector so what you actually want to do is to switch to using oh, these placeholders um, it, it's basically so that the logs don't inadvertently like publish um, IDs and and val- values in a public way whereas the interpolation means it will only happen in the logging itself so it's something that, that you need to take care of um, it, it's basically a a security concern. It was like that one that we had that was, uh, what was that huge one that was back a while ago? Log4j. Right, right, yeah. Where it was, yeah. Right, maybe like we're trying to prevent something like yep. that. So yeah, take take a look at the, we'll, we'll include the article in the blog post. I think it gives it a little more cl- clarity around, but basically we're going to a place where this will be the default for all new Laravel applications and you can opt into it for your existing applications if you want to. Um, so that's, that's that there. Okie dokie. On with the news then. All right. First up, we have an announcement from our friends at Titan that have announced the version one release of the Laravel-focused code linter and fixer, which is called Duster. Duster is a tool that brings together Laravel Pint, PHP Code Sniffer, PHP CS Fixer, and Titan's Laravel-specific lints in the TLint package to provide a powerful and comprehensive linting and fixing tool for Laravel applications. 
So we've talked about PHP CS and um, sharing PHP CS fixer, or we'll talk about sharing PHP CS fixer rules later in uh, in the show. But you're already familiar with the idea of publishing a set of your own rules for your projects. So Duster takes Laravel's base opinions that are codified within Laravel Pint and then adds the power of the additional linters and fixes through the other three tools that it bundles. So um, PHP Code Sniffer, CS Fixer, and TLint. And by default, it will stick to Titan's code style, which is ba- which is what TLint is based on, but it is also completely configurable. So this allows you to kind of combine all of the functionality from all of those tools within kind of like a unified interface. And yes, you could run all of these tools separately. I think this is kind of like the whole single pane of glass approach where you can kind of do it all in one place and then configure it that way. And it gives you nice output of like running PHP CS Fixer and then running Pint and then running, you know, whatever else. And then you can also get it to fix your things as well. Um, it'll operate only on dirty files. It, it does basically, because it does fixing and linting, there are two main reasons for this. First, some teams prefer like, for example, us as part of our GitHub CI or GitHub Actions, we will we'll run a lint check that basically says everything that's changed, if it doesn't conform to the standards, we want the build to fail or the action, to, the, the CI pipeline to fail, but it's on you to go and fix it to make sure that like you fixed it, you tested it and all that stuff. Um, some things can't be fixed automatically. So it's, you know, it can tell you that something's wrong, but it's not necessarily smart enough to fix it for you. That can be the case with uh, static analysis things, those kinds of errors that, that like may need, hands-on approach to fix um so you can integrate True. this yep. with with ci um you can configure it using a just uh, a duster.json file and basically it de- depends on a pint code sniffer cs fixer and tlint and it will respect the configurations of each of those so if you're using all of these things already or some of these things already then you can kind of install duster and it'll give you the additional stuff but it also respect your existing configurations as well um, so if, if that's something that you're interested in, if you want to, you know, bring in some uniformity to your applications, if you want to kind of extend and expand upon the things that you're already doing, and it's not necessarily about, you know, these are the opinions that, that are Titans, of course, because it's, it's their tool. And as a, as a community, they tend to kind of lean on what we as a community kind of follow as best practice and establish convention and things like that. So you may not end up having to configure it, but some people will have their own, you know, minor differences that they like to do things in a certain way and, and having a tool that does it for you. And certainly one that bundles it all up into one place just makes that, that a little bit easier. So, so definitely check that out. Very cool. All right, next up, we've got the future of past version two. And so this was in Laracon, India. Nuno Maduro just published his talk on the future of pests that includes this new plugin, Arch, which allows you to do dash dash retry, dash dash dirty, dash dash profile, and much more. So inside of this, I think that, so I haven't watched the talk. I know retry, I think only does the, the retrying the tests that failed. Dirty will say only run tests on the files that have changed. And then dash dash profile, I think says like, let me see which tests are taking the longest to run so that I can kind of go through and improve those. So if you're looking to improve the amount of time it takes for you to run your tests, you do dash dash profile and that will go through and say, here are the ones you should focus on improving because these are the ones that are taking the longest. So the talk is 36 minutes, 38 seconds long. There's new powerful plugins, improved syntax, advanced options uh, to make your testing easier, more user-friendly, and more productive than ever before. I will say I'm still on PHP unit for almost everything, but some greenfield stuff, I got some pest stuff in there, mm-hmm. and it's good. I mean, it's good stuff. It is just a little bit, it's not a huge learning curve. It's just a little bit different, but it's great. I really, really like it. 
If you here's what I'll say. You don't have to know Pest in order to be able to get benefit from this talk because he does an intro to Pest version one mm -hmm. in here as well. Uh, but then you get a live coding session of Pest version two yeah. uh, in action with real world Laravel project. So you can see how to use mm -hmm. the new version to its full potential. I will also say that there is no version two release yet. So it's not out yet. It's still being worked on. There's a version two branch out there, but there is no version two release on Pest yet. So right. it's coming. I don't know a release date, but... Uh, you know, suffice it to say, this is just sort of a hey, here's what's coming. For those of you who are already using Pest, looking forward to using Pest two, it's out there for you to enjoy now. I think I think if you're looking to explore Pest, you can you can just install it, and it will and it will run all of your current PHP unit tests no problem because Pest is basically a subset of PHP unit, so it uses PHP unit to run, which means that it understands your your existing PHP unit tests. So you can install Pest, run it. It'll do everything that you currently had with PHP unit, but it gives you the ability to kind of start moving across. Okay, maybe we want to use PEST for all of our new tests and we want all of our existing stuff to, to still function. That's totally fine. Maybe you want to like progressively, every time you need to revisit a test or add a test or whatever, you can then rewrite that file one at a time rather than doing, you know, we've got thousands of tests. It's probably not something we want to do all at once. There is a Laravel shift for it though. So if you do want to go all in, then you Did can use Laravel shift to do that for you. Uh, but check that out. I'm really, Very I'm, cool. I'm quite excited about the the retry option, which is really nice, um, and also the plugin that is um, nice, actually, yeah, the architecture plugin, which will allow you to kind of go, hey, we shouldn't have any DDs in here, or never use like, I never want to see config clear and things like that that you can put in there to make sure that that kind of stuff. Like this is now where where Pest is kind of with this architecture plugin slipping into a little bit more of the linting stuff that we talked about with Duster. Um, so it's you know all of these things kind of have some overlap with each other but uh, yeah definitely check that out but your tests aren't always going to catch all of your things and even if you're an amazing developer you may still end up with some errors and when those errors do happen it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring uptime monitoring and check-in monitoring into a single easy to use platform and they'll send you alerts in real time with all the context that you need to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding so that you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. And with the included uptime and cron monitoring, this also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go missing or silently fail. You can go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution, which is important because as a self-funded business, they won't have lost all of their money in the Sil Silicon Valley bank collapse that happened last weekend. Ooh, so yes. more than one reason to get in <laughs> bed with Honey Badger. They're at honeybadger.io. Thank you for being longtime sponsors of our podcast. Indeed. Hey, we're into the packages section here, and we're going to talk about something that I feel like we've talked about at least five times before, which is filtering and searching eloquent models, right? So you need to be able to quickly set up filtering. How do I filter through this list of eloquent models? Well, I know Spassi has a package that will allow you to do this. This is a different one. This is Laravel model filter, and it looks similar, but there are some differences. So this offers a simple way to filter and search eloquent models using array parameters and query strings. So what, uh, what is the difference here? I think the difference is that the filters are unique classes. So you can generate a filter using the make filter command. So if I wanted to do this, I could say um, PHP artisan make filter. Oh, okay. So this one, this was a created after filter and it has these different filter types. 
So you can have uh, a date filter type, a string filter type, a select filter type, a numeric, a Boolean, a trashed, uh, a relation. Uh, there's these different types that you can then extend with your filter. So in this case, the created after filter would extend this date filter. And then you can have a filter mode of being greater or equal. And then you just pass in what string you're wanting to do the filtering on, like what columns and create it at in this case. Then what you can do once you have this filter created, this filter can then be applied to different models by just using a has filters trait and then passing in which filters you want to use on that model in a filters array. So uh, in this case, you would just say created after filter and then you can trigger the filter programmatically or via a query string by saying, you know, post colon colon filter, created after filter and then pass in a date. Uh, and it will go ahead and automatically apply that special filter for you. Or you can say filter by query string. And this will do something like if you had a question mark created after filter equals and then a date, that will do the same thing for you. So I think the magic here is that there's some pre-done filtering classes that you can then extend. And then it takes care of the how you get those applied to a particular model, right? That's That's... A bang up job there. I don't know. I don't know how uh, the Laravel Spassi one does it, but I know we've talked about it before. Mm -hmm. But Paul Redman, everyone's favorite human, which has been a while since he said that one. Everyone's favorite human, Paul Redman, wrote this one up. So I'm guessing there is some significant differences, and I think maybe the Spassi one doesn't have the ability to be able to apply across different models like this one does. Once you create a particular filter type, you can apply it to as many different types of models as you want. And I'm pretty sure on the Spassi one, you just have to create them. Each individual model has their own types of filters. Like you have to create it over and over and over again if you wanted to do so. I think that's probably the difference there. Mm -hmm. well, in any, any case, hmm. looks like a cool one. Nice. Yeah. yeah, so it seems like their, their difference here is that uh, is, is exactly kind of what I had said before. Spassi ships with these this allowed filter where you can use like a scope or you can use like exact matches or things like that. But it's a little bit less customizable, it feels like, than what this other one is because you can create your own filter types. You can right. just completely customizable filter type. And then you can apply them uh, to whatever ones you want. So, yeah, just a little bit different, but, you know, kind of pick your flavor. There's a lot of, lot of great stuff out there. The next thing we have here is a Laravel notification log. It is a package by Sparsi that allows you to log notifications that your Laravel app sends and allows you to query notification logs in the database for your app users. So to fetch all of the logs that were entered on behalf of user, you can do user arrow logged notifications. You can customize which notifications get logged and by default, all notifications are logged. Each notification can have custom logic by defining a should log method to determine if the notification should get logged. Using the package, you can also query all log notifications using the provided eloquent model. And the package offers additional customization options such as logging extra notification data, defining a notification fingerprint signature and more. You can learn all about this and all of the other options in the official documentation will have links to that all in the show notes. But this one actually, now that I'm looking at this, this is really handy because I had to build this custom I had to build this custom on my side. Right. Yeah, I've done some the, some logging of notifications in the past as well. You know, Laravel allows you to have a in in your notifications you can have like to you well you can you can have like to mail, to SMS, to Nexmo, to whatever. You can do a to database yeah, right. and it'll just take take that notification and then and then shove it into a notification table in the database. So that's that's what I've done in the past, mm -hmm. which is, you know, 
simple enough. It doesn't necessarily tie it to a user, I think, um, possibly. But, you know, it's nice to have a package to kind of wrap that up all up for you so you don't have to worry about it. I am curious. I mean, I'm trying to remember how I'm doing this. I think I have, I don't use the database one because what I actually need to know on my side is I actually need to know what channel it used to do it. Right. I okay. need to know if it was an SMS or if it was an email or mm-hmm. if it was a whatever. I need to know that so that I can say, because basically because there's different versions of text that I might send based on... Depending on um, the, 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 yeah, the, like the channel that it, it's going out on. Sure, what channel it was going out on and what, uh, you know, what what it was at that time, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm, I'm going to possibly change the text message. So like if somebody came back and said for compliance reasons, whatever, hey, we need to know what text you sent like three years ago or somebody is right. claiming that you sent this text that said this, I can go back and say, nope, this is exactly what it said. I can tell you right here because I have the notification that I sent out, right? So I'll be curious to take a look and see how this one is, uh, how this one is implemented. I'll have to come back and look at that one. Yeah. In any case, moving on here, Flaky is a Laravel package uh, created by Aaron Francis. Mr. Aaron Francis, the MySQL database guy, he also had a... Was he Was he at India? He wasn't at India, was he? He was he not. Wasn't at India. Uh, no. He was, busy, he was busy at home working on his uh, MySQL course. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this is a Laravel package by Aaron Francis to help you handle intermittent failures caused by unreliable third parties. How many of us have ever had to deal with those? Yes. Raise your hand. And here's what he said in his tweet. Sometimes I have code that relies on third parties and I don't super care if it fails every now and then. I just want alerts if it hasn't succeeded in a day or so. So I wrote a little package to handle these flaky commands and flaky callbacks. Flaky for Laravel. I have an exact situation like this where I'm pulling down call counts for our team members so they can keep an eye on uh, how many call counts they've had for today, like how many outbound they've sent, how many inbound they've handled, things like that. And the API is notoriously flaky. And so I have some, you know, basically we do the same where if we catch the error and it's this type of error, we just say, ignore it. And then we have a secondary check that will basically go through and say, if they haven't been updated in 30 minutes, then send an alert, right? So this is essentially what that does. So in the, in the case that you don't care that there's a failure, there's a couple different ways for you to set this up. You can say flaky, make my flaky code or whatever you want to pass as like key, I'm assuming here. And you say allow failures for an hour or for a minute or for 20 minutes or for five hours or for a day or for three days, right? So you can set that all up fluently. And then you call run, pass a closure, and then you pass in uh, what that thing is that you're wanting to to run, right? So your API call that you're going to do. So very simple, flaky, make, give it a name, tell it how often you're going to allow it to fail or for how long. And then you say run, pass a closure and your code. And there you go. That's it. If the call succeeds, the deadline for an hour will be uh, reset. Send another, each, each subsequent success pushes the failure counter back a hour in this in example above. So you can also specify in addition to sort of these nice fluent chain, allow failures for a minute, minutes, hour, hours, day, days. You can also say allow failures for, and then you can pass in seconds, minutes, hours, days as named parameters. You can also do count-based consecutive failures. So you can say if it fails 10 times in a row, then notify me. Or you can say if there's a total number of failures of 10, then let me know. Right. So there's a lot of other nifty features like immediate retries, reporting the failures instead of throwing an exception, accessing the result of that flaky code execution, using flaky in artisan with flaky command. So you could say if this command fails a certain number of times, that's fine. 
this is just amazing. I love this. So, so nice. So check it out. If you happen to have those, uh, I think most of us probably have some situation like this. So very handy. Thank you, Aaron, for making that. Yeah, okay. it is very nice. I am. Um, I run into flaky APIs, but in the in the day-to-day like production running of that interaction, I don't mind so much. It's it's the when we have like integration tests running in CI that cause the entire build to fail because the lender APIs UAT environment like just didn't work for whatever reason. That's the kind of thing that I and I, I said to Aaron, I, I need this, but for like for my tests. So when those tests randomly fail, you know, we can say, okay, it's okay that this fails sometimes because we expect it that it might and it shouldn't like stop the whole test suite from running as a result. So see what it comes up, if anything. Or if anyone else has a solution mm. for that, let me know because it's a pain in the bum when it happens. I mean, if you don't care if the test passes, that's sort of... <laughs> well, <laughs> the thing is the test... In that case, it's like... Yeah, I know. But the thing is that the test does pass because like the code hasn't changed, the API hasn't changed. It's just every now and then it doesn't respond fast enough or it like, you know, I, I don't know what the conditions are. Like on Fridays, they seem to do maintenance between like 10 a.m. and, and 2 p.m. So any, any CI run sure. during that time just doesn't work. And so I don't want to not be able to, you know, merge and ship other code because of that failure, which is unrelated to like anything happening that we have control over, which is a bit annoying. But we can't just say, you know, we can't handle the failure within like the the test to say like oh we got a 500 because no it responded it just didn't respond in a way that we expected it to and so the rest of our application code didn't do what it was supposed to do because the api didn't respond which we know is a thing that sometimes happens so it's a it's a bit bit of an interesting one but i'd I'd be happy to hear from anyone who's kind of come up across that and and has some handling for that in their test suite but um, speaking of APIs, next up here, we have a PHP SDK for the Dolby API. It is a package by Andrea Bonner, and it provides a wrapper around the Dolby API. It's using Sam Carey's Saloon, which has been popping up a lot lately in terms of you know building really simple, uh, not, not necessarily simple API integrations, but it allows you to integrate with APIs simply. So the Dolby API is they they provide you various media APIs that allow you to enhance or improve the quality of your audio. And using the package, you can basically say um, Dolby API arrow API media arrow enhance, and then you pass it a link to a file, whether that's um, something in S3 or something you know in some other public storage. And then you say you want to get it out. It will then give you back a job ID, and then you can check the status of that. And because it's an asynchronous operation, when you get that job ID back, you then need to go um, and check the status of that job. But once it's finished, you can then go and download basically the, the optimized version. So you can check out the documentation on GitHub for usage and examples. We have links to all of that in the show notes. I'm, I'm keen to, to give this API a try for this podcast, for our other podcasts, just to see oh, cool. you know yeah, what, what and how it kind of affects the output. Because from the stuff, I know that Aaron Francis was playing around with this and he shared, shared as much on Twitter when he was kind of doing the final processing of of his MySQL for developers course to, to get the audio kind of balanced and even across all of the videos he was using this API and, and the quality improvements as a result of running it through this Dolby API were, were quite, quite impressive. So it would nice. be worth That's checking awesome. out. Okay. We've got another package here called require pin. This is really uh, quite simple in its concept, but would be a pain in the butt to code yourself. So this is this is a really cool one. So it's a package for pin confirmation and validation before processing requests to a specified route. So what it does is it provides a middleware 
that requires a user to enter a valid PIN code before proceeding to a PIN protected route. So you can just put the middleware require.pin onto any route. So for example, slash see my paycheck in the example that's given would prompt the user to enter their PIN code before taking them to that page. It also provides an API route that you can use to validate and manage those pins that are set up for those users. And that's it. That's literally all of it. The require pin middleware, you just add that to a route or to a group of routes. The middleware then intercepts those routes and generates a temporary URL to authenticate with their pin. And then once the user enters that valid pin, it will then redirect them back to where they were trying to head to and allow them to access that pin protected route. Sometimes that's sort of what's what, what gets missed in this, right? Is when you sort of redirect to a authentication page of some sort, uh, sometimes when you do that, they re-authenticate and then it just drops them back somewhere else. That's not where you were going, right? So having having this automatically handle that redirect over to the pin page and then drop them back to where they were heading is is uh, pretty nice. Yeah, nice. Cool. Okay, that's that one. Beautiful. The last package that we have here uh, is a HTML string affixer package. Okay, so this package will essentially look for HTML strings in your application. And it will automatically replace them with the string wrapped in the translation um, or the localization. So in this case, it will put in a in a blade template where you've got a paragraph tag that says some nice string. It will take some nice string, wrap it in quotes, then wrap it in parentheses, then put underscore underscore in front of it. So it's the underscore underscore is the localization slash translation um, helper function in Laravel. And then it will wrap that in double braces. And so this allows you to then easily update all of your views in one one hit so that they're all translatable. And then you go and go and write those translation strings for whichever languages you need to support in your application. The tool can be used with any JSX, Vue, or Twig file, as well as Blade, with, with customizable file prefixes and suffixes. The main features include finding HTML visible strings and replacing them with affixed ones, um, prefix and suffixes are customizable. So by default, it will do, you know, brace, brace, underscore, underscore, quote, as parent, paren, you know what I'm trying to say? Um, if a string mm-hmm. contains, say, yes. if, a, if a string contains a warning character, it will not replace, but will print out the location. So if you've already got like a HTML string there, but it's got, you know, one of the, it's got a single quote in there or whatever, you know, it's going to end up double quoting or incorrectly quoting something. It'll let you know. And it will ignore characters and warning characters. Uh, sorry, the ignored characters and warning characters are customizable from a JSON config file. Um, the package supports configuration, as I mentioned, which allows you to specify the folder to look for things, the prefix, suffix, um, few, um, strings to ignore, and things to raise warnings on. Um, and so you can use this by calling vendor bin HSA replace. And on Windows, there's a Windows specific command vendor bin HSA win. Uh, but, you know, if I butchered that explanation to you, it. It's simpler than I made it sound. We'll have links to all of it in the show notes for you. Very nice. Yeah, that is handy, especially if you had if you were tasked with the job of making sure that all of the uh, Blade files were internationalized mm-hmm. and you had to go through and manually do that, that'd be very difficult. And so this makes it pretty nice to do that. And the fact that they thought through that whole idea of like warning and ignoring using these special tags, that's pretty cool. So nice job on that. Yeah. All right, we are to the tutorial section here. Uh, PHP CS is an open source CLI tool that detects code style violations. Defining PHP CS rules across multiple projects in a team setting is tedious. So at the end of this tutorial, you're going to know how to create an organization rule set that you can quickly use to lint all of your PHP projects. 
There was a, this is a multi-part series. So in part one, we talked about PHP code sniffer with Laravel projects. This is uh, by Paul Redmond. So it's actually uh, not the tutorial king, Steve McDougall this time. And so if you're interested in doing this, which again, it's one of those things where you have multiple repos. How do we make sure that we can define this rule set and get it all the way across each of the projects? This is the best way to do that. For me, I just use a third-party service and then make sure it's installed in all my GitHub repos and make sure that it's a required test that has to pass. And then it just does that. But if you want to just do it locally and you want to make sure that it happens before it gets pushed up, this is a great way to do that too. So very cool. Very cool. Thanks, Paul. Next up, we have an another tutorial. This one from Ash Allen. We've actually diversified our, uh, our tutorial pool this week. I think from my recollection, Steve was waiting on a new laptop to arrive which is why he was light on yes, this, this this period mm-hmm. so um ash allen wrote this tutorial which is uploading files in laravel using filepond now filepond is a javascript library that allows you to upload files in your web apps and it provides a simple accessible and visually appealing interface for uploading files there are lots of javascript upload things a lot of them come with their own like opinions around what they should look like and some of them are quite dated in their appearance some of them are quite fixed in their appearance and they're, they're difficult to to deal with um so this basically allows you to make asynchronous file uploads it will handle doing all of the all the multi-part form data all of that nonsense that you usually have to do yourself it it like deals with how synchronous file uploads would block the ui so if you had like an input form and you clicked you know upload nothing like it all just freezes until the upload happens so this happens with like all the feedback and the upload things that you'd expect to see. I don't know. Uh, it talks about, you know, all the upload process, how to deal with CSRF tokens. It talks about um, how to set up the backend, how to handle the uploads. Um, this is this is doing uploads to um, your local file storage. So the, the process is slightly different if you're wanting to upload to S3 in terms of how you might approach that. The, the way that this happens is that it's going to upload to your um, server in a temporary location and then it's going to end up going to um, you know go to s3 or whatever so it'd be a two-step process but it goes into a lot of detail it talks about uh, image uploads previews um, uploading multiple files adding validation even you know constraining the the maximum file size and the file type and all that kind of stuff as well so it's a it's a good in-depth article and i encourage you to check it out thanks to ash for stepping in on this one indeed uh, Steve did, however, eventually get his laptop. And when he did, he decided he was going to make a live stream. So the pipelines that we talked about earlier in the show, where that's been pr- promoted to a facade, uh, which is providing a convenient way to pipe a given input through a series of different invocable classes or closures or callables. Uh, Steve decided to do a live stream on that. And he's got an hour plus of himself playing through uh, that item and talking about how you can use that in your own production app. So check that out. If that's something you're interested in, you haven't played with that before. Um, We use this pattern, but we used a version of it that was sort of before this was exposed. Uh, Jesse shut, 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 Jesse shut. um, And um, What is their name? Zangle. That they work for. Thank you, Zangle. Be nice, do good. Those guys, um, they have a pipeline package that we use. Uh, but now we could probably just switch over to Laravel pipelines. But if mm-hmm. you're interested in learning about this and how you could use it, you could check out the live stream. Steve does a great job on those. Mm. And and keep an eye on the Laravel News YouTube channel 
where Steve is trying to do these mm-hmm. quite regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're hoping to see some like short form content as well. So not just, just live streams. So uh, we'll have links to the YouTube channel in the show notes as well. Uh, the last one that we have here is an article from Bilal Haydar. And this one is going to talk you through building a Kanban board with Laravel and the view draggable uh, plugin, I guess is what you'd call it. Takes you through the process of being able to add new cards, edit cards, delete cards, add columns and delete columns and drag and drop cards within and across multiple columns. Uh, it goes through the whole process. Components from outside in, uh, it's using inertia as well under the hood. So if you want to have a have a look at a view inertia kind of combination in one place, this may well be the tutorial for you. Thanks, Bilal. All right, everybody. Well, hey, that wraps it up for episode 187. Thanks again to Honey Badger for sponsoring the show today. If you'd like to find show notes for this episode, you can find them at podcast.laravel-news.com slash 187. Five stars in your podcatcher of choice would be amazing. Thanks so much. And if you have any questions, please reach out to us on Twitter at Jacob Bennett, at Michael Dorinda, or at Laravel News. Till next time, my friends, have a good one. We'll see you. Bye.